0: I speak in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Um, It's so good to be back with you. I think I haven't been here for three weeks. I've not been idle, I've been elsewhere. Um, For the last two weeks I was at Rochester Cathedral on placement there. And last Sunday, on Easter Sunday, I um, went to the service that started at 5.30 in the morning... I'm not very good at getting up in the morning, and that was really hard for me. And actually, about 20 minutes into that service, I had the surprise of my life and jumped out of my skin, quite literally. We hadn't started the service in complete darkness because the sun had already come up, but we'd all had our candles and had walked into the cathedral. The lights were not on. And we'd stood there for about 20 minutes while the liturgy and worship had unfolded. And then... I jumped out of my skin because the three members of the community behind me started ringing handbells as others did and the organ started thumping away really loudly as the shock and surprise of resurrection was shown in that way at that place. It had been frustrating for me because I'd been standing there with a candle in one hand and the order of service in another and at the moment I've got hay fever and I needed to blow my nose really quite well, and I couldn't quite manage it, and I was thinking, I do need to do this. And then the bells had come, I jumped out of my skin, and I could blow my nose. <clears throat> the gospel accounts of the resurrection all have different stories associated with them. There's some inconsistencies, some things are clear in one place and not others. But where they are consistent, I think, is that they all suggest something amazing and incredible happening, and the disciples did not know what to do or how to respond. There was surprise and wonder, fear, confusion. The unexpected had happened. This had not happened before in history. There had been resuscitation, think of the story of Lazarus, but there had not been what has come to be known and called resurrection. I think in our minds today, some of these inconsistencies trouble us because we like to have everything sewn up quite neatly because actually if it all ties together, if people are saying the same thing, it makes sense, so it must therefore be true. But actually, we don't quite have that, apart from the consistency of the response of the disciples, of that wonder and amazement. I mentioned the fact about my hay fever just because there are things that happen to us that surprise us that are significant, that help us remember more of the details as they happened. I remember struggling with needing to blow my nose and then being shocked. I can recall those details really quite clearly to you, and I have done. In the passage we've got today, time seems to slow a bit, and we've got a lot in a very short time. We've got two resurrection appearances. We've got the Jesus appearing to his disciples. We've got the giving of the Holy Spirit and the commissioning of the disciples in a few short verses in our Bibles. The first appearance of the two was to the ten. So Judas was no longer with them. And also Thomas was not there in the room that the disciples found themselves in. And we have the picture of them being frightened. The doors are locked. They've been on a real roller coaster of emotion, haven't they? Jesus' arrest. <laughs> crucifixion and death burial and then these stories of the resurrection stories from the women from Peter and from John we've got disappointment what has really happened we might have even had where is the body and then we know that Jesus came into that place where they were and stood among them He showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus had a body. He wasn't a ghost. This wasn't an apparition, a spiritual being. I don't know if you've seen the... um, TV programme ghost that's on television at the moment. I'm not recommending it to you, it's not that good really, but actually when I need a bit of a break, it sort of itches where I'm scratching a little bit. But the ghosts in this TV series, they can walk through doors and walls and they can sit on chairs and lie on beds, but they can't pick up cups or move them. There's a lot of inconsistencies in how these ghosts are. Jesus was not a ghost, he was there bodily. He could be touched. In other stories, we know he can eat. He was recognised, but not very quickly, because there was something different about him. So in some way, the body that he'd inhabited only a few days earlier was transformed in a new and different way. He could appear and disappear at will, so he wasn't limited by a physical world, But in this body, he still had the scars of crucifixion there. He showed the disciples his hands and his side. And it's at that point that we hear that they recognized him. Recognized by his scars that were the marks of his cruel death. And it was through that that they started to recognize the Jesus they knew. It's the wounds that reveals to the disciples the extraordinary truth of the resurrection. No ghost, and in some way a continuity from the life Jesus had lived in the body, through death, cruel death and out the other side so that then what happens jesus speaks peace over these fearful people and their fear goes they turn to rejoicing as they begin to recognize jesus with them and then jesus commissions them As the Father has sent me, he says, so I send you. And then he blows on them, receive the Holy Spirit. That sounds very similar to the stories we have later in Acts, written by Luke. So is this sort of an equivalent of Luke's Pentecost, an equipping of the disciples for all that will come to be for them in the future? with the Spirit strengthening them, guiding them, the gift of the presence of God. It also reminds me, though, of other stories throughout the Bible, of those in Genesis, of the Lord's breathing new life into Adam, or Ezekiel breathing life into dry bones. But we have the picture of this new church group of people being brought to life in Jesus, By this symbolic action and then we also have the sending out so we have the receiving of the gift of the spirit and then the sending out commissioning them giving them a task to minister to others as they have been ministered to by him And actually, when I was standing there earlier, thinking this is really important, what I'm going to say next. So if I've waffled on too much already and you think I'm going to, just think about what I'm going to say now. Because these people were being told also that they needed to be people of forgiveness. They are tasked with forgiving. And forgiveness needs to begin with each of them. For each of those people gathered who Jesus now appears to, fell short. Think of those accounts of the fleeing and the not being with Jesus over the days that had passed, when the cross loomed. And it's really important because this new community, this new community of the new church, has to be one built on forgiveness. And it's the forgiveness that comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's this forgiveness, this building of spirit-filled community that gives the church the strength that it needs for the mission that we have been tasked with. It's a wonderful model for how church needs to be. A forgiving, life-giving, spirit-filled community. I think that's what Jesus was commissioning these people for. So forgiveness of each other. For Peter, who denied Jesus. We remember Judas, who betrayed him. They probably needed to forgive him. For the religious leaders of the time, the politicians, the soldiers carrying out orders. Forgiveness for the events of those days that had passed, all so quickly so that then they were formed and strengthened and able to go out and do the same. And then we have this second appearance, which happened a week-ish later, because Thomas hadn't been with them. Thomas had missed the surprise of seeing Jesus in the place with the gathered. He hadn't been there. How much that must speak to some of us of missing out have you ever heard about the brilliant party that you were not invited to or that gathering that only got so much better just after you left you missed the best bit we've all been there we've all got that t-shirt I think we've all I think have experience of feeling that exclusion or being on the edge of not quite being included So when Thomas had found out that he hadn't been there, when the disciples told them, he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails, I will not believe. He wanted to see and touch. What was he thinking or feeling? I think his response is really quite an emotional one. We call him Doubting Thomas, don't we, in doubts mentioned in the text. But I also wonder whether he was angry and upset, upset at missing out. We don't know a huge amount about him, but we do know he was a twin. So we don't know what that could have caused him in his life. Um, I'm godmother to one of twins. Will is now 16 years old, He and Ed are absolutely identical. So much so that I've got to ask which one is which. And we stayed with them for a few days um, just a few weeks ago. And I had to ask them each time they came into the room or were wearing different clothes because it was only by their personalities that I would be able to tell who was who. And it's been wondering about this, thinking that if we haven't got our own identity or we're always walking in somebody else's shadow. How difficult that is. So I'm speculating, but Thomas did Thomas have some of that baggage of not knowing that he was really included for who he was, not just because he was a twin or one of the twins? I mean, I don't know. But he wants a particular sort of proof. He's got a barrier to believing, and I think many in our culture have that today. Do you have a barrier to believing, to fully accepting these events, this story, the risen life of Christ today? And it's really tough, isn't it, if life has given us a hard blow, because we sometimes will say, That's tough. Where's God in this? Why me? So, actually, I love this story when Jesus does appear to Thomas because he knows exactly how Thomas is feeling, what Thomas has said, what Thomas needs to believe. He says to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hands and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. I know what you need. I want you with me, you belong, is what he's saying. Thomas was invited to touch, but the text doesn't tell us whether he did. Seeing the risen Lord in front of him and knowing he was included, knowing he was understood. And Thomas proclaimed, my Lord and my God. A statement of belief, a creed, if you like. Jesus is his Lord and Jesus is his God. He's back, he's a member, he's included, he's part of this sent community, this apostolic community. This really matters and it's oh so true. Thomas had peace. His fears went, he had hope. He'd met the risen Lord. All that the others had said and told him was true. So, what about us? Do we live in the light of the surprise and shock of the resurrection? Have we accepted these stories? We are Easter people. So we live in the light of knowing all of this, in the continual knowledge and trust, I hope, of the resurrection. I want to say to you that the resurrection either happened or it didn't. Is there a third possibility? Is there a halfway house? So then why is it hard for some to believe? Is it because we need to believe in a particular way? We want God to interact with us like this and now. Is it because we want the certainty of seeing Jesus' hands and the scars of being able to touch? Or do we have barriers that are in our way because we've been thrown a really tough card in life and it's difficult for us? The Gospel writer says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Those of us who are way post this resurrection time are not inferior in any way because we've not seen with our eyes. And today we have the gift of the written word, the word of life. The stories we can linger over and ask God to help reveal truth to us by the presence of the Holy Spirit working through us and the church. And we have the testimony of John. We know that not everything was written down, it says that a little bit later, but we do know that enough was written down so that we can come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah the son of God and through believing we can have life in his name that new transformed spirit filled life that sends us out that strengthens us that transforms us because this community of disciples that we've listened about and thought about today had their lives transformed their communities were transformed the church started and grew and each of them, in their own way, risked their life for this. Would you risk your life for something you did not believe in? I know the church tradition holds that Thomas went to India and um, spread the gospel message there. Who knows? We all need to remember that we live in the light of the resurrection. We too can be people whose lives are transformed. We too are people called to be sent into the world to tell others about Jesus. We need to remember we are forgiven people. We are called to be people of forgiveness and to build communities of forgiveness. And I think that's where we start. So if there is any unforgiveness in you, bring it to God. We are called to trust and believe in new life, new hope, new possibilities. To walk each day closely with our Lord Jesus Christ. To know that we are deeply loved by Him. And if you forget that, think about those scars, those scars of love. We are given the gift of deep peace that comes with knowing him. And we are called to share this love with others. So I ask you, is there anything that is stopping you from believing? And what is it? And as you think on those things, just remember Thomas. Thomas who was allowed, who was offered to touch and see and believe. Amen.